0: All right, so we're on. This is Mobility and Inclusion. I am Harut Markarian and our guest today is the athlete, the author uh, of the book, Don't Stop Dancing, My Story of Tragedy, Lost Addiction and Darkness and the Discovery That Healed My Soul. Eric Anderson. Thanks for having me, Harut. Thank you for being here. Thank you for giving us your time. We're going to talk a little bit about you today and uh, about your journey. Eric has a wonderful, wonderful uh, story that I think is uh, paramount for everyone to uh, to know about, uh, whether it'll be a, a life lesson or or uh, just you know uh, uh, a challenge that you overcame.
1: Right. Yes, the ongoing challenge—that's for sure.
0: Yeah. So um, you were. Born in Minnesota, correct? Correct. And you uh, were, grew up in uh, Texas,
1: Fort Worth? Grew up in Fort Worth, Texas, and then spent some time in California, and then moved back to Texas. My dad's job took us around. Um, we traveled because of his job, and then um, he eventually was laid off, and so we decided to return uh, back to Minnesota, where, uh, where all my family is. Nice. And that is where I currently reside. Cool. Unfortunately, uh, in the cold. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, well, uh, some of us are trying to get out of this heat, man. Yeah,
1: it know. seems. <laughs>
0: um, so you played a lot of sports. I actually relate with you a lot when I was reading yes. your book. Yeah, I, uh, I did. You mentioned you played, You soccer was your number one sport, correct? It was. Yeah. It was...
1: Um, in Texas, it was soccer and football, and um, I was a little guy. So I, uh, I got banged up on the football field. I was, I was this was not the sport for me, so um, I switched to soccer. That was more of my liking. I was, I was faster than everybody, so that was, um, 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 I excelled at, at soccer, and that's what I, I played mainly there. Mm-hmm. And then um, I moved back up to Minnesota, though, Minnesota was a hot you know as a hockey state and um, I remember getting on getting on the ice for the first time with with hockey skates and it was like it was like a a baby deer on ice I was slipping and sliding falling all over the place I just uh, that I, I couldn't do it you know you really have to grow up if you're a hockey player you just really have to start at a young age and and play it all along and you can't really come in and just slap on the skates when you're in seventh grade and start skating. So that that didn't really go very well. So I, I, I concentrated then on um, basketball. I was really um, um, into basketball and, and golf and uh, soccer mainly is what I what I played in high school.
0: That's cool, man. I, uh, I myself, uh, I'm a huge soccer fan. Uh, I play soccer a lot and uh, I was a professional basketball player at some point in my life. Uh, so yeah, I, cool. uh, when I was reading that part of the book, how you described how important it was for you, you know, that athletic, uh, side of, uh, of, of your life. I kind of resonated with it a lot. Um, so, uh, you were also a little bit of a bully. <laughs> I read- was,
1: you know, a little bit at first, um, down in Texas, you know, it was, um, you know, I grew up down there. I was the popular kid and, uh. What really changed is when I went to California. That was a a real eye opener because I got out there. I had a really heavy Southern accent, and um, God, they they made fun of me so bad out in California, and I was picked on so much. And you know, the tables really turned, and it was just really an, you know an eye opening experience. I I really kind of just felt bad for how I treated other kids in school. And so I just remember when I, I returned back to Texas, I, you know, I, I, then I became the protector, you know, I, once you, once you feel the other side of, um, you know, being bullied and stuff like that, it really kind of changes you. And, um, then I always felt an obligation to, to stick up for the little guy and stuff. So, but yeah, it was, uh, it was California. It was different out there. People would even tell me that, um, that just, uh, it's kind of, the, you know, the people in California were just a little different. And, um, and so when you had that really, I had that really heavy Southern accent and mm-hmm. man, they just tormented me for it. And um, so I, I was always constantly on the defense and having to protect myself. So when I moved back out to Texas, I actually, re- I went to the same school that I left, you know, So it was, you know, it wasn't like I was the new kid. I I reconnected with all my old friends that I grew up with because I only spent about two, three years out in California. So then I then I switched and it really changed my attitude and um, I really became, you know, a big, you know, uh, protector of those, you know, that were that were getting bullied and stuff like that
0: yeah and, and the reason the reason i uh, I kind of like stopped at this point when I was reading the book is because during my research and when I was writing the book uh, and I did a few other interviews like with uh, with people with disabilities, and uh, a few of them mentioned that um, you know uh, bullying is is a real problem with uh, with kids with disabilities, right? Yes, definitely yeah so that's why i was like uh interested, interested when when I read how you transitioned from uh, being the bully to protecting the the kids or to you who are being bullied that was a wonderful story there um, and uh, i don't wanna i don't wanna uh, i don't wanna kind of like direct the conversation in a certain way but i i, I at one point i want to transition into how you hurt yourself and how did that transition into the new life that you had? Uh, but before that, you uh, another another story that caught my, my eyes in the book, it took you, uh, apparently it took you a lot of time to get ready in the mornings. Oh, yes. <laughs> so,
1: yeah, I started, you know, because I, I told you I was kind of the, I was always a kind of a smaller, skinnier kid. And then um, after, um, after I graduated, um, I just wanted you know, I, I still was that kind of skinny kid. And I, I was like, I, I want to go start working out in the gym, you know, and I, I, I hired this personal trainer, I didn't really know what I was doing. And um, he was just this really, you know, he, he was the classic, uh, the the guy you see on TV, you know, the motivational kind of does the, the infomercials for the exercise tool, you know, really in your face, screaming, motivate you, kind of a guy. And, um, um, but he, but he, you taught me a lot and um, I started working out and it, it, it didn't take long. You know, you, you dedicate, you know, your time and as long as you're, you're consistent and you stay disciplined, really like in, within six months, I just really started to notice a change in my body. And, um, you know, I, I gained a lot of muscle. I caught a lot of, you know, cut cut my fat down and I got big and, you know, I just, it just changed my whole mindset. Um, my self-confidence, and then um, just uh, every morning, i get up in the morning, and I would just see these just gradual changes, and I just, every, you know, even even if I just go to the bathroom, doesn't matter what I was doing, getting ready in the morning, or if I just had to go to the bathroom, I'd be in the mirror flexing, just hours, just flexing and posing and stuff like that, but um, it really, um it, it really uh boosted my self-confidence and made a big difference, you know, in how I I looked at myself. And so um, that it was, it was literally that it was the year, the summer I turned 21 and, you know, I turned 21 in January and that, that whole summer it was, um, it was, you know, like I, I still talk to my friends. It was, it was the best summer, you know, and the worst summer of my life. You know, you turn 21, you know, I had all the self-confidence. Um, I was playing lots of sports and I was just Excelling at so many different things, and then um, and then um, one night we went. Uh, my friend had a party, and he had a house on a lake, and um, and actually we had a we had a softball game. I was playing in you know different softball leagues with my friends, and we had a championship softball game. And after the game, we went to the bar. We had some drinks, and um, you know, and at this at this age. Um, even though it was a, it was a Monday night you know we still we still always got together and hung out and had drinks and um, when you're young like that it didn't really matter much you know I was I was able to get up in the morning still I was you know pretty just healthy and I was in such good shape I had a lot of energy I didn't get sick and really didn't get hung over and so I went to this party on a Monday night and um, and uh, I just... It turned into a big party. It was just really strange how how many people ended up being there. But you know, when you're 21, a lot of us, a lot of us, we we weren't all like you, Haruta, getting our bachelor's and master's degrees and stuff like that. (laughs) A lot of my friends, you know, were just landscapers or unemployed or worked when they want to work. So we had a lot of time to do you know what we wanted to do and. uh, didn't really matter if it was a Monday or it was a Friday. We did a lot of partying back then. So it was a Monday night and, um, and it turned into a big party. And then next thing I know, some, one of my friends run the house runs in the house and says, everybody's going skinny dipping, you know, and just, it was just like kind of out of a scene in a movie. Everybody just takes off out the, out this big screen door and runs towards the lake, you know, starts whipping off their clothes while they're running to the lake. And, um, you know, and I got to the edge of the, this retaining wall and I stopped and I was like, yeah, I was like, ah, I don't know how, how cold the water is. You know, I want to check and see. And so I kind of took off my clothes and it was weird, I actually got into the water and um, I was like, okay, the water's not too cold. And then I got back out of the water and then took off my clothes and then I just dove in and I didn't really even think um, about the depth of the water, um, when I when I stepped in the water, you know, it, it only came up to my ankles. But um, I was drinking and just in this in this great mood, and you're just in this environment of having fun. You don't really think about repercussions, and you don't you don't analyze your environment, you don't analyze your situation. You're just caught up in the moment, and I just dove. And what's interesting though is. Um, my sister and my dad were swimmers and they always taught me that when you ever, whenever you dive to put your hands in front, um, to protect your head. And I, and I remember as soon as I dove, I remember that thought came through my head and I did put my hands out in front of me to protect my head. Um, but the water was so shallow that it didn't even matter. And I hit the bottom and, um, as soon as my neck broke, I never felt anything. There was no pain or anything. I was just lying there face down in the water, and I went to turn myself over, and I couldn't move, and I I had no idea why. It was really strange. All these thoughts started running through my head, like, you know, why can't I move? Like, why can't I turn over? I'm like, am I that drunk where I can't move? And then I'm like, well, I've, I've never been that drunk before where I couldn't move, and I'm just trying to process all these thoughts and and during this whole time I'm I'm literally drowning um it was so dark out you know even though I had friends by me nobody really could see me and um then it was you know a good one two one or two minutes I was on you know underneath water and then I started to drown and that's when I kind of started to, to get nervous I was choking and starting to lose consciousness and um that's when i felt a hand on my face uh some girl that was standing on the shore saw me and started yelling because she saw me just lying there and uh i felt my buddy's hand touch my face and i remember i bit his finger as hard as i could um to get his attention and he flipped me over and he's like he was laughing and he's like what he's like what are you doing man why are you just laying here and I'm like, I'm like, dude, I'm like, something's wrong with me. I'm, I'm like, I can't move. I can't move. And then um, from that moment on, it was just, uh, it was pandemonium, you know? Everybody was kind of screaming and yelling. And I just remember all this echoing. And, um, and, the, and the one thing is I had a friend that was going to school to be a paramedic. And it was weird that he was at that party that night because he was going to school. He wasn't a big partier and um, you know he was he he took his studies you know he was he was responsible he took his studies serious and um, I don't know why I was there that night but he was in the water and he came over to me and it was like his training kicked in he he said what's wrong and I said I dove into the water man I can't move anything and then he instantly said um can you feel me touching you here and I'm like no he's like what about here and I said no And he's like, are you feeling any tingling sensation in your arms and legs? And I'm like, yes. And then he immediately held my neck and he says, we can't move him. Go call 911. And all my friends wanted to move me and lift me up on the shore. And he's like, no, no, we can't move him. So he stabilized my neck and, um, the doctors, they literally credited him, um, they said my injury probably would have been much worse if my friends would have moved me and lifted me on shore. Um, so the fact that that my buddy was there and stabilized my spine and wouldn't let anybody move me, the doctor said probably contributed a lot um, to lessening the, the degree of my injury. And, and they said, um, how good of athletic, you know, I'll um, get a shape I was in at the same time had a lot to do with it so there were there were a couple things you know you don't think yeah. of, you don't think of it at the time but as time goes on you start to count your blessings so I was fortunate that my friend was there that that night
0: absolutely and I believe uh, I believe he was there for you as I was reading the book and as you described all the stuff I I'm like yeah, this guy was clearly there for Eric that night, you know, uh, it, was, it was an epic moment uh, in the book. And, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm glad that uh, you, after suffering through or going through that, that severe injury, uh, you kind of like came back, right? It came back and, and uh, a lot of other people could have been at a much worse situation right? Um, so um, you had a full-on uh, explanation and details that you go through in your book that I want to encourage everyone to to read the, the, your experience in the hospital with the nurses, with your friends, with other, other uh, patients there. That was very well written. It was very detailed. And I don't want us to say everything here. I want to encourage people to actually go and read the book because uh, and I, this is coming from someone who doesn't enjoy uh, memoirs right and, and your book was uh very well written in a way that i was living every single sentence you put in that book it and this is uh crossed my heart like i you know i'm not, I'm not one who bullshits so uh i uh, i really enjoyed reading a genuine um experience right that's that was amazing uh so i'm gonna skip through all that uh, hospital uh, experience I want to encourage people to read it. Uh, now you got out of the hospital, came back, obviously. Now you broke your neck, you said, right? So what were what were the thoughts Correct. that were going through your head after you came home from the hospital?
1: But, um, at first it was denial. Um, it was really just, I was in a lot of denial that something like this could happen to me. You know, when you're, where you're, you're living such a good life, a great life, you know, I was very blessed. um, And I had just, you know, a lot of great friends, a lot of great family. Um, You know, like I said, I was very athletic. Um, I had so much going for me. And, you know, when you're growing up, you know, everybody, you have these, you know, this picture of, you know, what you want to do when you grow up or what you want to be. But one thing that, Never occurs to you is that you're going to end up in a bad accident and be paralyzed, you know. Mm-hmm. So nobody nobody thinks that something bad is going to happen to them like that. So initially, when I got out of the hospital, it was it was just denial. Um, I was I couldn't believe that this this was actually happening to me. So. Um, you know, a lot of depression, um, but it was almost just, it was just shockingly um, surprising what, what happened to me and the fact that I wasn't going to recover. You know, they, the doctors were telling me, you know, this is spinal cord injury. This is This is permanent. You're going to be in this wheelchair forever. And it's almost incomprehensible. Like your mind, you just can't wrap your mind around it that your life has just been completely flipped upside down, you know, and that you went from this, you know, 21-year-old athletic kid that's got the world by the tail and unlimited potential and he can do whatever he wants. And now he's trapped, you know, in this in this wheelchair almost like a prison. You know, and the doctor just, you know, just, you know, sentenced you to life in a wheelchair and and you couldn't you just can't grasp it, and um, it it took, you know, when I got home there, it was, I had to move back home with my parents, and there was just a lot of time of, you know, reflecting on uh, my circumstances and what was happening to me and my body and stuff like that, and it was just, and you're in, and you're in spinal shock, so your body is not really, um, you know, your body's not made to live like that, so your body's just going, undergoing these so many changes. It's almost like a metam, like a metamorphosis of of a of a sort. And um, you're just, um, your mind is is, is not, um, you're not, your mind is not equipped to handle those emotions. Um, I think I talk about it briefly in the book. Um, how were you when you're in school? You know. The police come out there with the drug program or the the dare program you know and they teach you about drug and alcohol awareness and stuff like that but i i almost think that they should come out there and they should teach people or teach kids you know about how how if you do you know um stupid things and and you know you can get into car accidents and, and you hear about it in the news you know texting and driving drinking and driving how many bad things happen to young people when they're just not thinking and stuff like that. You know, it's, I almost believe that they, sh- they should like prepare kids, you know, because I was, I was n- mentally not prepared for the adjustment that I had to make physically and emotionally as to what happened to me. So it really, in the beginning, it was just a, a lot of denial and
0: trying to come to
1: terms that, this really happened to me.
0: Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's funny you say that. I when I was writing my book, I uh, was doing research, and it turns out that only thirteen to seventeen percent of people with disabilities acquired their disabilities at birth. The overwhelming majority. that low? Yeah, the overwhelming majority acquired a disability at, later in life.
1: Yeah. And I do know one statistic is. is I think it's like 88% of those that uh, get injured in spinal cord injury are males. <laughs> and I'm like, wh- and I asked the doctor, I'm like, why is that? And some nurse, I remember some nurse quipped and she said, because guys are dumb. <laughs> She's like, you guys take stupid risks. And I'm like, eh, good point. <laughs> I couldn't, couldn't <laughs> no, argue yeah, with her yeah. on that one. <laughs> yeah.
0: So is that why... Uh... This is the, uh, we're going into the second portion of your book now. Do you title it? I think uh, the day I died, right? That's.
1: Yes, that was the, yep. That, 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 that night when I had my accident, I, that's when the old Eric died and kind of a new, a new Eric was born this Eric with this major disability.
0: What Um, did you do with your car?
1: Oh man, I love that car. It sat in my garage, sat in my parents' garage for about a year. Um, I didn't want to sell it, and but I didn't know why I was keeping it. It was, I guess, it was kind of like a reminder, in a sense, of how good things were. Um, but then it started to become, you know, it started to torment me in a way. Um, so it it almost felt like the last part of me that I had, you know, that, you know, that, that wasn't disabled. It was a reminder of the life I used to live. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I finally just, you know, I was never going to be able to drive the thing again. So I was like, I, I got to sell it. And I, I put an ad in the, in the paper and, uh, literally, literally had numerous calls the next day. And, uh, and then I sold it to a young kid and, uh, that, that was a tough day to get rid of that car, but, um, but it was something, you know, it was a, it was part of the process, the emotional process of letting go of that old life. So, it, um, but I, I did, I did, I did keep it for a while. It was tough to let go of, um, mm-hmm. but, um, I eventually sold it and, uh, that was kind of like cutting ties. Um, it was, it was part of the grieving process, I would
0: say. Yeah. And, um. I, I, I really, I'm really interested in knowing what happened with uh, Courtney. It's interesting that you mentioned that. <laughs> uh. So,
1: um, for a while, you know, this, so once, once Facebook um, um, started up, I looked her up. I remembered her first and last name. I looked her up, never could find her. Um, and uh, gosh, it was interesting. So, I literally am, am putting the final touches on my book. It's almost it's almost complete. I'm going through my revisions, and you know my my editor's really. Uh, this is when she's talking about the scene versus summary. So I went back to that one that one chapter that that night that I met her, and I changed the chapter. Where I was making revisions. I was really trying to, um, you know, like I said. Um, write it in a way where the reader was was there with me when when I when I met her when she walked in that club that night and I saw her so I I finished the chapter and um, that was kind of pretty much the the last thing that I really needed to do you know was the, the book was pretty well polished and I, I got done I was emotional you know I was kind of crying a little bit and I was just like I'm gonna look her up again you know and I typed her name in Facebook and uh it popped up you know and i I see this picture and i'm looking at her and this is blonde girl you know and uh we're talking 20 years later and i'm like so i clicked on her link and i i knew she was from bloomington and uh she had some old pictures on there from when she she was younger and i'm like wow i'm like that that's her like that's her you know and then um i just sat there and i'm like i like, I don't know what I should do. I'm like, should I message her, um, send her a message? I'm like, what, you know, what's she going to think? Is she going to remember me, you know? Um, and I'm like, I'm just going to send her a message, you know? So, um, I, you know, I, I I, don't know if she was married and that's why I couldn't find her in the past. And she got divorced then and, you know, went back to her old name. But I just, I sent her a message and I said, hey, I don't know if you remember me and I don't know if you're the right Courtney, but you ever remember dating this guy and he was in a bad accident and ended up in a wheelchair and she didn't it, it doesn't look like she's very active on Facebook, but um, it was a couple of days later she got back to me and and sure enough it was it was her and um, she's like, oh my God, yes. And um, it turned out she was in a bad accident too. And um, I guess she had, I, no, she, was, she she got sick, she, she some virus or something. Um, and so she had some memory loss, but she, mem- she remembered me and it was kind of uh, traumatic for her as well. So um, I told her I wrote a book and um, once I published it, I, I sent her a link, and we had a couple conversations, but it kind of seemed like it was um, a little, a, a little rough for her, a little traumatic for her too. So we haven't stayed in contact. So I'm not sure if she read the book or not, but we did reconnect, and we did, we did touch base briefly and stuff. So she was glad to see. That I was doing as well as I was, and that I made it through everything, and um, and uh, so we did we did reconnect, but it, it was kind of weird that I happened to find her that night. That I rewrote that chapter of when I met her. So,
0: that's amazing. That's uh, you know you can't you can't make this up really. It's uh...
1: No, it was kind of uh, like when I wrote that book. A lot of afterwards, it was weird. A lot of stars aligned afterwards.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I believe that uh let's let's move on to your uh, you know now you're in the wheelchair you're you know you're starting you're kind of like you're starting your life over right it's, it's like there's a new eric uh and i i remember you uh uh you went to vegas that was your first trip right yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh uh that was your first trip and uh again a lot of, a lot of good good humor there I, i'm Again, I'm going to encourage everyone to read it. You know? Yeah, that's when I, I... I don't even know if I want to tell that
1: story because it is such a good story, but that I will say that's when I learned about uh, uh, spinal cord injuries and gravity. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh,
1: that's, that's the best uh, also, way to describe that is yeah, when you... I was, uh, I was also going <laughs> to
0: say... Spinal when cord you learn cord. about gravity's
1: effect on the body.
0: <laughs> uh, also, spinal cord injury does not dictate your um uh sexual behavior
1: yeah yeah that was it's on
0: right, the book as well
1: <laughs> yep yep <laughs> awesome I, I figured i figured vegas was a was a was a great was a great uh, place to kind of um if there was any way to explore what uh, what i had in store for me or what i was capable of sexually it was uh vegas was the town to um get the answers <laughs> that's right <funny. laughs> yeah, there's literally absolutely. there's literally a Phone book of uh, of, of, <laughs> uh, of answers for you in Vegas of, of what you're capable of sexual. Oh man,
0: you got to you got to meet you got to meet my my friends. Uh, uh, one is uh, like Mike, Michael Gifford is uh, in law enforcement. I think you two will get along very well. And the other one I want you to meet is uh, Vince Vince Dasko, who's, uh, who's been an advocate for people with disability for the longest time. He's on he's he is a wheelchair user too. And he's been helping me through the book, throughout the, the what I'm trying to do with the company and all. So these two, I, I really like it to meet. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so the reason I mentioned Vegas is because you went to visit the Hoover Dam and you mentioned something that, you know, the, the viewing area was not accessible. Yeah, right? I couldn't see it. That, yeah, my, you know, I, I was, uh,
1: Vegas, we went to Vegas. It, it was with the PCA. Uh, my, my PCA, he wasn't 21. So we couldn't really do much in Vegas. And um, so that was a little disappointing. But th- before we left, he wanted to see the Hoover Dam. And I was like, yeah, I was like, you know, it's, you know, you know, one of the, I always thought I was like one of the seventh wonders of the world or whatever. I was like, I was like, yeah, that would be great. Let's go. And we went out there and I literally, I couldn't see it. Um, the ledge, you know, if you're in a wheelchair, I mean, I, I couldn't, I couldn't view it. There was no, like, I mean, maybe there was a viewing area for, for people with disabilities. There could have been, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, yeah. criticize whoever was, you know, runs the Hoover Dam or the city of Nevada or the or state of Nevada or whatever. But, um, we, we couldn't find anything and where the viewing area or was, That everybody was looking that's where we went and I couldn't see it because it was too high and I remember my PCA just got got behind me and he lifted me up and I was kind of just dangling over and I'm like okay that's cool let me down now and he put me back down and I was just kind of disappointed you know I was like well that kind of sucked you know because that it was amazing I mean it was just this massive infrastructure and to think what it what was involved in um, the engineering involved in making that thing, you know, for the few seconds that I looked at it, I was just amazed and it was like, I would really like to look at this for a long time. And I was, it was just kind of like another, you know, shot to the heart, you know, it was kind of another reminder of why being in a wheelchair sucked is because I didn't get to see this thing like everybody else was getting to see it, you know, and, and I was just really kind of disappointed that, um, you know, everybody's just looking at this thing with their, you know, eyes wide and their jaws on the ground. And, and my buddy lifted me up and I saw it for five seconds and he let me down and I was just like, let's go, man. I'm like, this sucks. So it was kind of like a disappointment, you know, yeah. and that's where I really liked your book how you talk about that universal design. And because I know that could have been that, if you can build a Hoover Dam, you could build it so everybody can enjoy the the magnificence and looking at it, you know, it's not hard. If you have the engineering skills to construct that thing, then you can easily build it where everybody can enjoy it and look at it. So that was the thing that I was kind of disappointed about and that's how I really, that's what I really like about your book, Hurd, is how you talk about that universal design. And I really, I really think that that's, you know, how we should start looking at the world because there's, there's no doubt in my mind that we have the, the engineering and technological wherewithal to start designing everything in a universal manner
0: absolutely absolutely i i I can't agree with you more and to add on to that i uh i wanted to know that i wanted you to know that i i'm also applying for a biomedical engineering doctoral program right now so if i get in uh so hopefully uh, i'll be you know one step closer to making uh, more school
1: more schooling hurt
0: well it's i I don't look at i don't look at it at schooling man it's just uh, the more student loans no no this, this is no that's good. okay <laughs> i have student loans i cannot take it anymore <laughs> uh so this would be a uh you know grant-based program so okay would, that's cool yeah i so i wouldn't be paying for to to get the education but it's not it's not just the getting education it's more like doing the research so hopefully you can get to a result that you can deliver to and for me because i'm going to dovetail it under my company marquette robotics that will be geared towards, you know, uh, giving this community of people with disabilities another uh, another avenue of more independence. Right, that's that's the ultimate goal of of, of, of my entire company. Um, and I thought because uh, because the, the, the institution has all these research facilities and 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 stuff like that. So, you know, what better way is there to test your hypotheses? To see what's going to work and what's not going to work, and what's sure. what what can be delivered in a, in an accelerated manner, because uh, you know the more research I do, the more I see like there are things that can be done right now, and there are things that can be done better to assist and give independence to people with disabilities, right? But it's not being done for some reason, uh, and we're we're more focused on the long term, but you know. The near term, we have problems that no one is really addressing, or no one is addressing it effectively, if I should say.
1: No, yeah, and I think a lot of that comes down to awareness. I really do. I just it's it's I just don't think people um, are you know they don't they're not aware uh, they're not educated in the in, in these type of situations, and I I think that's why your book that's why I liked your book is because something like that, it just really brings awareness to a lot of problems that people just don't think about. But I, um, you know, and I I talk about it roughly, I talk about it briefly in my book, you know, you know, we live, we live in an able-bodied world where, you know, most people are able-bodied and these type of situations and these type of um, problems it's just not something they think about, you know, they, they have their own problems. They think about, you know, how they're gonna pay the mortgage, you know, they're, you know getting their kids to and from school and, and uh, you know, the programs that they're involved in. It's, they don't, they don't think about these other issues and stuff. So I really think that it's, a, it's, an, it's an awareness issue. That's so right. I think once, but, but once you look at the big picture, it really starts making sense that that if you start developing and doing the like universal divine design that it eventually that this is all going to affect us at some point in our lives down the road so we really need to be forward thinking um so that's why i loved your book because it you know brings up that point that eventually you know we're people are going to get older yeah. So you might not be disabled now, but eventually you're going to get older and you're going to start running into these issues. So we should start looking at it now and creating a more accessible world because eventually we're all going to be affected at some point.
0: Yeah. I mean, eventually, as you said, we're all getting old. But even if you're not getting old, let's remember that one statistic, 13 to 17% are born with disability. That's it. Yeah. The 83% of people, roughly 83% of people acquire disability at some point in their lives, in their adult lives, so uh, that's you know these two points—the one that you made about the elderly and the the statistic that I just talked about—is you know is very uh, I think uh, hits it home. You know everybody should think about this. This is not this is not something that can be put off, uh, and it should it should be done right now.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, yes, and you know, and it, especially if you look in America, what what is it? I think you know there's somewhere near 70, 78 million baby boomers, you know, so yep. this is a, this is, you know, in America, we're going to have a, a lot of people that are, are, are getting old and are, are going to start, you know, running into these issues. So I think it's something that it, it, we, we should start getting it, you know, getting out ahead of the curve and start really start, start thinking about these things. And it's it's, just overall, it's going to make a world a better place. So
0: absolutely, absolutely, um, and I also talk about it in my book in terms of uh, making a great business sense to be yes. more inclusive.
1: Yes, most definitely.
0: So let's uh, talk about the mindset, your mindset, saying that okay, this is this is my life now. I'm going to best. I'm going to make the best out of it. Take us through that.
1: Well, that took a while to get to that point. That's for sure. Um, you know, there was a good 10 years of, um, you know, I, I was fortunate, I had a lot of great friends by me, they included me in everything they did. And, um, you know, when I was in the hospital, the nurses and the doctors, they, they really tried to prepare me for my friends leaving me, which does unfortunately happen to a lot of people with disabilities. That their friends don't come around no more, you know. So my doctors were warning me of this, and um, it was really scary. But I was lucky; I had my friends that stuck by my side. So I didn't want to lose them. So I did put on a happy face. I did try to say positive, um, you know. But deep down inside, I really was hurting, and I wasn't really um, dealing with the depression. And the mental health issues that I had, in a proper manner, I was drowning them out with partying and doing drugs, and and just trying to have fun. And you know, and I wasn't dealing with a lot of stuff that was going on internally. So it it, it took a while um, for me to uh, come to an acceptance that you know I was in this wheelchair, and even though I was paralyzed life can still be good. And I'm not gonna, I don't want to ruin it, because there was that, that there was that literally that point in that book, it was literally one night, it was almost like a, a literally turning point for me, where I rediscovered myself. And um, it was an awakening that I realized that, you know, I could still live a happy life, even though I didn't have my body, I had my mind. And the mind is a magnificent thing. I mean, if you have your brain, you can still accomplish a lot of things. And I realized that, that I could still be happy, that I could still do so many things, even though that I was in a wheelchair, I still had my brain, I still had my mind, and I still was capable of so many things. And once I started concentrating on what I could do, and stopped concentrating on what I couldn't do, that's when I really uh, had that turning point and things started to change for me. And I really started looking at life in a whole different manner. And um, the accident, you know, it makes you see life in a different way. You start thinking about things differently. It was very enlightening. Um, I'm a very empathetic person now. Um, that's why I have a, a, great, a great deal of respect for individuals like yourself, you know, you, you know somebody that's able-bodied you know, you, you said you've, you know, you did have some disability and family members and stuff like that. So, but for somebody like yourself to devote your time and effort to trying to help people like me, you know, I admire that a great deal um, because, the, you know, it, it, we, we do need, uh, you know, individuals like yourself because there there are a lot of people out there um, that I see that that suffer, um, and they haven't quite reached that point, and you know, discovered that they can still you know do a lot of great things and live a happy life. But I, I did I did luckily fortunate in me I I found that 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 light at the end of the tunnel, and when I did um, it was it was almost like another it was like almost another rebirth you know it's. it's it literally like that my disability was like a metamorphosis there were literally stages that I went through and you know that I died and then I was disabled and then I went through this depression and denial and then there was an acceptance and a and a rebirth again and then and since then I have been uh um, life did change for me in a in a, in a way again and, and now and now I'm living my life to the fullest again. So um, I'm kind of upset that it took me a long a ways. It took me a long ways to reach that point. But, you know, life, life w- works in weird ways. I don't know. I, I, think, it, I think I needed to go through that for some reason. If a, I didn't, I wouldn't have had that book. You know, I wouldn't have been able to write that book. I wouldn't have had all those experiences. So even though it took me a while to realize that I could still live, a great life. Um, I'm, I'm glad I went through all those dark times, because um, for some odd reason, I I felt that it, you know, that that was my path.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I can't agree with you more. I think uh, there's a, uh, I, I not. I don't think I know and I believe that there's an incubation period for everything. So whatever you had, you you went through. You had to go through to be where you are at today. And uh, you said something very powerful. Uh, the mind is magnificent and that's very true. And once people are aware of the capabilities of the mind, their life would change 180 degrees. Yeah. Whether, whether they're someone with a disability or not, it doesn't matter. Because a lot of people without disability are acting like people with disabilities because they have a limited mind. Yeah, so. I think
1: I, I read this once and I, you know, you probably can attest to this more than I could. but I I, I, th- I think I read this once that they said that we know more about the universe than we do about the brain. That's how extraordinary our brains are. And that's how I kind of feel as I started, just was like, thank God that I didn't hit my head and do permanent brain damage. You know, I started to look at it from that perspective that I have my mind and I can, I can write and I can tell stories and I can listen to music and I can see the beauty in the world and I can talk to people and I can laugh and I can converse and I can study and I can take in information. You know, the mind is a great thing. And so once I focused on that, that's that's when it really changed for absolutely, me and I, absolutely. that's what I'm still trying to do, so.
0: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that uh, because uh, as I was looking for, you know, uh, doctor programs to join, and I was very interested in, in the brain brain computer interface, right? Like for amputees for people with the spinal cord injury, such as yourself. Like if you have a healthy brain, how do you make your, let's say, prosthetic limb or your wheelchair part of your body, right? By by your thoughts. Since you can't move your feet, let's, for example, right? How can your you how can you move your wheelchair to the place that you want to go, let's say? through your thoughts and you know everything that I looked at everything that I looked at like researchers for decades and years and years but we still don't really understand the mind no they you know it's, it, it's crazy that they they yeah they
1: really you know the how many trillions of connections the the brain has it is it, it's it's kind of just um when I read about it, it it's mind-blowing it's like I can't even it's almost I can't even um, conceptualize you know you know our brains and
0: how it works and what we can do so um, so it can do a lot of things and a lot of good things if you use it right yes exactly yes that's true and um, I was uh, so last question about what are you doing right now? how are you going around you know? What what do you have to say to to people uh, who maybe are your are in your shoes right now?
1: Um, kind of just reiterating the same message that we just talked about. You know what I I'm right. I just finished my second book. Um, Congratulations! I, yes, I uh, now I'm kind of turning towards fiction. Um, I'd like to like in your book how you talked about. Um, there should be more inclusiveness in the entertainment industry, and um, I totally agree with you. And I, I, I loved how you included that in your book um, because that's a kind of where um, I'm. I'm trying to turn my talents now, um, so I wrote a. I wrote a second book. It's the first, and what I hope to be a um, a volume of three books, and it it's fiction, but it's based off of. Um, um, real events that happened in my life. So my first, my original manuscript of my book, it was like 190,000 words. I had to cut it down to 80,000 words. So I put in all these stories because there are all these crazy stuff that, that I did um, over the years. And I put them in my book originally because I thought people would enjoy reading about all these, these crazy shenanigans that me and my friends got into. But ultimately my book was too long. So I had to cut those stories out, but I kept them. And I was like, you know, this is good (laughs) material. I want to use this, you know, for something. So that's what I'm using it now is I decided to write a fiction book and I'm using these stories. And so it's loosely based off of my life and my friends. And I would, I'm hoping to break into, you know, the entertainment industry. I'd love to write a script and, you know, about a show where the main character is, you know, a guy in a wheelchair because, you know, I, these these events and these these things that I've gone through in my life, you know, they're, they're pretty funny and entertaining and, and I, I think people would enjoy it. So I'm really trying to, to uh, that's what I'm working on now and, um, you know, I have, fortunately I have the time right now with everything going on in the world. Um, um, I spent a lot of time writing and stuff so I finished the second book it's off to the editor. Um, so now I'm already working on the third aspect of it. So, and, and then I'm just now trying to take classes and read and, you know, I'm doing what, what you're doing now is trying to learn more about the marketing aspect of it. Write, writing the book's the easy part. The, the marketing, that's the, that's the hard part. That's the, I didn't really uh, do it the right way. I think on my first book so there's still a lot to learn and that's what I'm learning now is I'm basically, so this second book, when I launch it, hopefully I'll, you know, launch it the right way. But, um, so I'm in that process really trying to learn about the marketing aspect of it because that's the hard part.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, uh, I'm not doing it. Uh, I'm not doing a good job at it either as of right <laughs> now, just because I'm super, uh, you know, overwhelmed with a lot of things that I'm doing yeah, sounds like you you got a lot on your platter, <laughs> yeah uh, but but it's cool, you know it's all it's all part of life. If I don't do these stuff, I feel like i'm I'm not i'm not, I'm not living, you know, so I have to keep I always challenge myself in in different ways, and I enjoy that actually, being in that state of mind, being in that distress, if you will. yeah, yeah, it's um,
1: yeah, I try to keep myself busy and preoccupied. it's it's good to keep the brain stimulated. Um, idle time can be bad, you know, especially during times like this. I mean, you know, with the politics and the, and the coronavirus, um, if, if you're disabled and you got a lot of downtime, you know, that, that can be detrimental to your mental health. Um, yeah. You know, you, you really need to try and, and keep your mind stimulated, you know, read, <clears throat> write, try and find something that you enjoy doing that brings you happiness you know, technology, get on the computer, try and try and find something that you enjoy. Um, You know, once you once you find something that makes you happy, then then focus on it. And then just try to immerse yourself in it. And once you do that, your life will really start to change for the better. You know, it's kind of what my buddy told me once he said, you know, find something, you know, find something that you love and then figure out a way to make a living at it and then you'll never have to work a day in your life so that's kind of kind of how I I look at life now so
0: absolutely absolutely that's wonderful by the way I'm going to introduce you to a good friend of mine her name is Eileen Gruba I think I mentioned this to you before she's an actress and the and the writer and the producer I think so maybe uh, definitely yeah
1: I, I remember you brought her up and um I definitely want to um, take you up on your offer because I'm starting to make progress with my book here and I would definitely love her input on uh, script writing and you know and how to break into that industry because I definitely think I, you know, I I have the ability. I just I I need to refine it and and then you know hone my skills. So yeah, yeah. um I would I would love to meet her. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh you if that. you ever if you ever need a guinea pig, Harut, um on <laughs> your company and your technologies and whatever you're developing, um, I would I would love to be a part of it, man. Because uh, I really absolutely. think what you're doing you. is great, and uh, I trust you. Your uh, your book was very well written. You're very intelligent. Um, I admire you, what you're doing a great deal. you. Uh, like, you know, I, I get inspiration from people like you, so um, I just want to encourage you to keep going. And
0: and yeah, if you ever if you ever need to poke and prod anybody I, I definitely <laughs> would volunteer <laughs> all right man that sounds great uh I want to thank you for your time man this is uh, kind of like uh, our uh last my that was my last question and hopefully we we uh you know provided value to our listeners to everyone who's gonna see this in the future which reminds me that I forgot to hit record on this thing so which pisses me uh-huh. off uh, but uh, it was live on Facebook so we will use that Cool. um uh, i want to thank everyone who tuned in uh, i will see you next time with a different guest until then know that there will only be just one of you that is where it all starts with you a wonderful unlimited human being definitely thank you so much for having me on Harud.
1: it was great talking with you again uh, it's always uh always a pleasure uh uh talking with you and um keep doing what you're doing my friend i i, I really appreciate it you're uh you're, you're a magnificent human being. Thank you, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for your time as well. All right. Take care. Right. We'll talk soon. Bye. Bye, right, my friend. Bye.
0: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c sweetradiocom